0: This is Bloomberg Business Week from Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly. And
1: I'm Carol Masser. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's our weekly podcast bringing you an in-depth interview you will not hear anywhere else. There are some individuals who live a life that often finds them in the center of high-profile events. That includes Michael Ainsley. He has done so many things and found himself really at moments in our history.
0: Well, we talk so much about being in the room where it happens, happens, of course. But so many rooms and some amazing places that he's been. He's got a new book out. He does. It's called A Nose for Trouble, and we're so delighted he's here with us in New York City first of all Michael congrats on the book welcome back to
2: Bloomberg thank you It's nice to be here so why do it you know two reasons I have a lot of young people that I care about five kids eight grandkids scores of posse scholars that I've mentored over the years I want them to know that life is not easy there are a lot of bad things happen to all of us And the question is how do you deal with it? How do you learn from it? Where do you go next? So my nose for trouble got me into some difficulty every decade of my life. And I think I've made some pretty good choices afterwards. Second reason, there's a whole story about Lehman that's never been told. We were muzzled as directors for five, six years by the lawyers saying we couldn't talk. And I have views on that, the rest of that story.
1: Well, Jason and I were going through the galleys, and I think both of us were like, all right, where's the Lehman part? Because I do think you were in the room where it happened when it came to the vote on whether or not Lehman should file for bankruptcy. Take us there.
2: It was incredibly scary. Uh, It happened so fast. We thought the Fed would continue to lend to us. We thought there might be a merger. And yet that weekend, it became clear the government was backing out, they were not gonna do their job as a lender of, to financial institutions, and the biggest bankruptcy in world history was facing us. We considered not doing it. We said, let's see if they'll really flinch. Right. Will they lend tomorrow morning if we don't declare bankruptcy? What a terrible game of chicken to be playing. It was, if, if, if we had said no and they had said no, we'd probably all not be here right Right. now. It would have been awful.
0: And so as you've had time to both think about it yourself, uh, obviously you put a lot of it down in the book, as you've had a chance to talk to to other people, what were those sort of catalytic moments, both in in your boardroom and, and in Washington that
2: ultimately led to the fate of Lehman? Well, Hank Paulson will not like my book but he's got a tough skin. Uh, First of all, it was Bernanke's decision. The Federal Reserve is supposed to lend to financial institutions. They abdicated and turned it over to Paulson. Paulson made a political decision. It was not an economic decision. It was not based on Lehman's collateral. There was plenty of collateral there. I want to promote not only my book, but this book this is by lawrence ball the dean of economics at Mm -hmm. johns hopkins this is the ultimate book about the lehman bankruptcy it's 200 pages of data and very very thoughtful uh, prose about what went on and i really recommend that anyone that's serious about financial history take a look at larry ball's book he's a very very good scholar in any event uh, we were we were left with no alternative did you realize that in the last week of Lehman's existence, our, our clearing bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, demanded and got 8.6 billion of our cash collateral to shore themselves up against Lehman possible losses. Well, they had the right to do that. Apparently, the fine print of their loan agreement let them do that, because we lost that lawsuit mm-hmm. four years later. However, it drained the liquidity out of Lehman. We were solvent until literally three or four days before the bankruptcy.
1: So why why did it happen to Lehman? Why was, why was Lehman the one firm here's that my, was allowed to fall?
2: Here's my explanation. We all know that AIG was much bigger than Lehman. If they had gone under, the world would have changed. AIG owed Goldman Sachs billions and billions of dollars for various commitments. In my belief, Paulson said, I can't get both done. I can't save Lehman and save AIG, and if I can only save one, I'll save AIG. And I think we were collateral damage. We had done nothing wrong, that's why nobody went to jail. The uh, examiner's suit, uh, the uh, bankruptcy examiner said there's no colorable crime here, no colorable uh, violation by either management or the board. But when the Fed closes its window, you can't function.
0: Michael, one of the things you talk about in your book, both explicitly and implicitly, is that ultimately these are people making these decisions. These are people with relationships, long-standing relationships, some good, some bad, and at the very least, complicated. Yeah. What do you make of the role that some of those relationships played in the ultimate demise of Lehman?
2: I think they were important. I think uh, Paulson liked and was close to uh, his successor at Goldman. He didn't like Dick Fuld. They had had very contentious relations over the years. Lehman had stolen some of Goldman's best people. John Walker had just come over to run asset management for Lehman. Uh, Fuld had turned down a request to put a a lot of money into long-term capital management back in the late 90s. Uh, we were asked to put in 250 million dick finally very late in the game put in a hundred million for for Lehman Paulson was furious Paulson felt fold wasn't trying hard enough to find a, a Takeover partner or a merger partner. So there were a lot of Frictions there
1: Michael was there any point in the stage leading up to September 15th when Lehman filed for bankruptcy. I know that date. It's my anniversary, so it's kind of in my brain forever and ever. Um, But I do wonder, do you recall in those days leading up where there was the possibility that that they could have been bought out, that there could have been a partnership or a combination that would have really changed the future of Lehman, that Lehman would still be around today, maybe in some form, maybe not in name, but in some form? Well, I mean, it is still kind of around if you think about the assets and how they were distributed, but in a different way.
2: The, the closest we came to a, to a merger was with Barclays, right. and that should have happened. Uh, the uh, chancellor of the Exchequer in, Lo- in London said, we won't give you a waiver of a, of a shareholder vote. That killed the deal. But he could have done that, we believe. And uh, that should have happened, and Barclays would be you know, some form of combination of Barclays and Lehman would still exist.
1: Were the American officials helping you in in terms of that process as as much as they could have? Because at that point, everybody had to come together because it was a global crisis.
2: I think they were. I think Paulson really did want to see that happen. Okay. Uh, The the sad thing is that uh, Alistair Darling, the chancellor of the exchequer, said we don't want to import your cancer, not knowing that as soon as the bankruptcy occurred, London's Lehman operation, which was huge, right. would be bankrupt also. Right. So right. they did get the cancer. Right. Right. And you write about this in the book, Michael, sort of the, the
0: aftermath, and, and obviously you've had some years to, to reflect on it as, we, as we've talked about. So as a businessman, as a very successful businessman, as a human being, what do you take away from it? What do you internalize that either changes your worldview, changes your view of the financial system, changes your view of maybe the next crisis?
2: um less leverage (laughs) all the banks and we were right there with them we were too leveraged more equity Um,
1: so that's been a good thing coming out of the financial crisis and we should not be rolling back those regulations
2: no no however the feds ability to act has been severely restricted by dodd frank for example and i only recently learned this any refinancing that the Fed approves now has to be approved by the Secretary of the Treasury, which makes it back to polit- politics. Right. right. I don't think that's a good rule. The Fed should focus on the banking system, not on the politics of the moment. What about as a human being? What, what do you take away
0: from it? Because that is a harrowing experience, as harrowing probably as anything from a financial or a business perspective that anyone's gone through in, in in our lifetime. You
1: see those people carrying their boxes out. Like it's it's hard not to have an impact, right?
2: It's, uh, you know, you realize how, you know, how many people were affected. Yeah. And and uh, I studied economics. I love the field, and that's why I became a real fan of Lawrence Ball. He has done a study of the post uh 10 years after Lehman mm-hmm. of the 23 countries of the OECD the growth rates in those countries are still dramatically suppressed because of the Lehman bankruptcy it's still hurting our world why do you think the german bond 10 year german bond is selling at minus right. point 6 or whatever right. it is negative negative yield the world's economies have not recovered today 12 years later from the lehman bankruptcy that's why i think it was a huge policy mistake i think paulson should have fought to save at least for the moment wipe out all the equity holders mm-hmm. dilute don't give the shareholders anything or next to nothing but don't let this con- this company go into bankruptcy All right, well, we'd be
0: remiss if we had you and didn't talk a little bit about Sotheby's. That was also uh, an interesting chapter, to say the least, uh, in your life. What's the most notable thing that that you remember that that you take away from that
2: experience? Because you write extensively about it in the book. Um, Sotheby's is a great, great institution. It's just been sold again recently to a Frenchman, Patrick Drahi. Now private, right? Private, which it should be. It, it's not a business that should be in the public markets yeah. it's too seasonal and cyclical and uh, subject to short sellers telling stories and so price on. price-fixing that's <laughs> that's the story that is so painful yeah. uh, the auction business has two sides to its revenue the buyers pay part called the buyers premium After the recession in the early 90s, I changed the buyer's premium to a sliding scale, and that has really, really sustained the business. After I left, my successor looked at the other side of the commission structure, what's called the Selling Commission, Seller's Commission. Illegally, with Christie's working for several years, she built up a file of 500 pages of illegal documents. It's incredible to me. Uh, that they did this and thought it could be gotten away with. Um, in any event, that almost took Sotheby's down. It almost put the company out of business with the, fi- the fines, the penalties, mm-hmm. the client relationships that were lost and damaged.
1: And you had no idea. You were there to 94, I think, for a decade. No idea.
2: No idea. I stayed on the board for three more years mm-hmm. uh, at Taubman's request and uh, saw some of the changes happening, some of which I didn't like, but I was no longer CEO. But um, it came out in 2000. And the way it came out is interesting. Uh, the Christie CEO, Christopher Davidge, was fired by uh, P- uh, Francois Pino, the, the owner yeah. of Christie's. Right. He gave a few pages of these documents, these illegal documents, to Pino, and said, if you want more of these, you're going to have to pay me. And so Pino obviously weighed his options and chose to pay him 10 million, I think it was 10 million pounds. He got the 500-page package of illegal agreements, sent them to an American lawyer where they were known as the hot potato, and <laughs> that led the race to the Justice Department because the first one in gets right. immunity. Right. And Christie's apparently beat Dee Dee Brooks by a day or two. Wow. And they got immunity, although Anthony Tennant, their chairman, could never leave England because he was uh, implicated. In any event, it was a uh, high drama and really a tragedy. And it just shows, you know, A moral compass is the most important thing in business, in my view.
1: I love that you say that. Jason and I have so many conversations, and we were talking about, you say in your book how much you learned from your father in terms of how to treat people, and we both said the same thing, you know, that my dad didn't matter whether you were the head of a company or, you know, somebody at a grocery store. And I feel like we've gotten away from that in terms of treatment of people and also the moral compass, whether you're a politician, whether you're a business person, what's happened you know, from the Varsity Blues, right. like, what has happened? Am I just being an older person looking back to the sweeter days, what has happened?
2: I, I wish I had a good answer, I wish I knew, and I wish I could help go back the way we, we did things. And, that, and I think most people still do. I think Is there too
1: much emphasis on money?
2: Yes, yes, and I say that in my book. Uh, after I left Sotheby's, I looked at where I wanted to put my energy, I was in my 50s, I still had a lot of uh, energy left and the money that was chasing art was really not about buying art it was about the buyer of the art mm. getting a high profile right. the wanting to be visible wanting to be known overnight you could become a world celebrity by paying a hundred million dollars for a Picasso you still can and they do uh, so I put my efforts into into my posse foundation I'd love to tell you about Posse. Yeah, tell
1: us. Tell us about it. I was reading online about Um, it. When you're helping other kids, right, get opportunities, education.
2: 30 years ago, I'm still at Sotheby's, I met a woman named Debbie Beal. Debbie was a 24-year-old, young, idealistic, great uh, community uh, leader. And she was interviewing a bunch of kids who had dropped out of college, but had the ability to to do the work. And one of them spoke up and he said, I would never have dropped out if I'd had my posse with me. Mm. She said, posse, what's that mean, what's that? He said, my guys, my gals that back me up, my buddies. She, Debbie's an amazing woman. She's now won the MacArthur Genius Award. She's still CEO and president of posse. She called up a friend at Vanderbilt, where I was an alumnus and a board member, and asked him, would you take a big gamble on a bunch of New York kids that can't measure up on your SATs because they can't afford SAT prep courses and they don't go to the great schools, but they are leaders. They will be leaders and they will change your culture on your campus. Fortunately, this professor went to the dean of of education at Vanderbilt, the Peabody School of Education. They said, let's do it. We need some more kids from New York. Suddenly, six kids, the first posse was six kids, arrives in Nashville. And they were Dominican and African-American and you know, whatever, and they hit the campus by storm. The star of that little group was a woman named Shirley Collado. Shirley, I I almost get teary when I start talking about her. Shirley, Dominican cab driver's daughter, mother worked in a factory, uh, or a pharmacist actually. Um, They did not want her to go to Nashville, to Vanderbilt. Sure. She went on to be a star at Vanderbilt, get her PhD at Duke in clinical psychology, went into academe, was the dean of the college at Middlebury, she's now the president of Ithaca College. Wow. Wow. And she's on the board of Vanderbilt University, and she was just on the search committee to pick the new chancellor of Vanderbilt. Now that's what changing someone's life that's can right. do, and, and change our institutions. We need more kids and people of diverse backgrounds, right. all kinds of backgrounds, on boards, making decisions in the room, as right. you said. Right. Then well, the decisions are better. It's
1: all about access, and we, we've seen the yeah. research about the importance of diversity. We've got to leave it there. There's so much more we want to talk to you about, so come back and join thank us.
2: Thank you. We and, really and, and
1: everybody it. should check out the book because it really is inspiring and thoughtful. It's been fun. And knows for trouble. Thank you.
0: Michael Ainsley, thank you. And you've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra.
1: Be sure to tune into Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Carol Masser,
0: And I'm Jason Kelly. This is Bloomberg.